in this place this morning. Thanks to the band for a fantastic uh, uh, just time of worship and praise there. Superb, guys. And, of course, all those kids full of beans. So uh, God bless the, church, the kids' church leaders this morning uh, looking after that crew. I just have the pleasure of looking after you guys. Which is uh, great. For those who haven't seen me before, <laughs> feels like a while since I've been here last. My name is Andy. I'm one of the elders uh, of Arena Church, part of the leadership. And of course, with part of that is uh, also a roving brief to be part of Mansfield, um, part of here. And also, once a month, I help out um, at Beth Shan with Phil as well. So it is good to see you. So I'm not a stranger, I promise. Okay, but um, it's my pleasure this morning to just open up the Word of God. Who knows that the, uh, the Word of the Lord lasts forever? People agree with me? And who agrees that uh, prayer is the bedrock on which we do everything in this church based on the word of God? So I'm just going to pray quickly before we get into the word this morning. Father, I just thank you for your everlasting eternal word. Thank you, Father, you are the same today, yesterday, and forever. And we just want to just spend these few moments in your word. And I pray, Lord, for hearts around this room, whatever people are going through. Right now, Lord, just speak as we just open your word and just explore what you have to say to us, not just for ourselves, but ongoing in our lives. Amen. Well, as you know, the series this um, past few weeks has been Hope is Here, uh, with a subtitle of Aftermath. And of course, we had, the, um, we had Palm Sunday, we've had um, Easter Sunday, and of course, the resurrection, celebrating the resurrection. Uh, and last week, uh, Christian was here speaking uh, on Peter, and I was over at Mansfield speaking. And we've done a swap around today. We've done a tag team. So Christian's over at Mansfield, uh, and I'm, I'm here. And so the subject is aftermath. So just a quick recap, what is an aftermath? I'm sure you've all seen the news where uh, a hurricane has hit a town, or where there's an earthquake happened, or, or there's floods, or, or a volcano. What happens? The aftermath is what is left afterwards. A complete turnaround, a complete turning upside down of, of people's worlds in a, in, a, in a real physical sense of, of the earth itself. But here with the Easter story, we're looking at the period immediately after the crucifixion and the resurrection. Now imagine this morning that you're one of the disciples, okay? Just get that mindset that you are a disciple. Okay, you've been with Jesus for three years. You've seen some amazing and I'm talking amazing miracles, okay? This is the guy that walks on water. This is the guy that takes a few pieces of bread and a few fish and distributes it to well over 5,000 people. This is a guy who had an answer for everything that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious rulers of the day had to throw at him. Suddenly, this guy is ripped from them. He's put upon a cross the cruelest method of death ever known to man. With nails through his hands and his feet. A crown of thorns on his head and a spear on his side. Their great friend, their great leader, their great influencer suddenly has gone. And of course you know through the Bible that Jesus kept saying to them, yes, I'm going to die, but then I am going to rise from the dead. He said it time after time, read the scriptures, read the gospels, it's there. Jesus kept saying it, I will rise from the dead. But on the day it happened, somehow you and me, the disciples, forgot everything that Jesus said. So you go to the tomb in the morning with your perfume and your spices and the body is not there. The body is not there. And in the aftermath of, of that great catastrophe suddenly what do they do how do you feel right now you're one of those disciples you've been with jesus step by step day by day you've seen everything 
You've seen the dead raised alive. You've seen the blind given their sight. You, you've heard speech come from the dumb lips. You've seen the lame walk. Suddenly he was ripped away. How do you feel this morning? It's pretty, pretty, pretty tough, isn't it? You know, the Bible is not just there as a story. You all know that, don't you? The Bible's not just a story for us to read. The Bible is there to also teach us how to live, how to live as Christians. But it doesn't stop there. Because of what we learn in the Bible, what Jesus teaches us through his word, is something we can take on, something we can take forward to affect those around us. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I, I work in the real world. I meet many, many people who go through situations that feel like a hurricane. I myself have been through situations it feels like an earthquake. Joshua's prayer this morning about mountains trembling and falling. I've known those moments. Who here has known those moments? And suddenly you're faced with the fact, what does my faith say about this? How should I react in this moment? But it's not just you. What about the people you know? People in your world, people in your street, people in your school, people in your work who go through the same things. What hope have they got? The title of this series is Hope is Here. During the past few weeks, I've been just you know, keeping an eye on social media, friends from different churches and churches from across the world. That word just keeps reappearing and reappearing. Hope, hope, hope. Why? Because we live in a generation that is devoid of hope. You see, there are no absolutes. There are no absolutes. Whatever goes is the mantra of the day. So where is hope going to come from? And then the scriptures that we see, we're just going to base around John uh, chapter 20, just a few verses. We'll just see what happens, because how are you feeling in those moments? How are your friends feeling in those moments? When the world seems to open up and you just crash down, what's going on? It can lead to frustration. It can, it can give you fear, can't it? It can just make you feel there's, there's nothing left. Devoid, there's a vacuum. It can bring disbelief, it can bring doubt. Of course, in the loss of a loved one, it can bring grief. But then the side of the series, aftermath, what happens? Jesus appears. As we look at these, these couple of chapters, Jesus appears. You see, the Bible says there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. There is always hope. This morning, if you're feeling hopeless... Hopefully the message you take away this morning is there is hope. There is hope. Whatever your situation. Now, please hear me right. I'm not going to be trite or flippant with human emotions and human feelings. Because some of the things we're going to unpack this morning are very, very real. I'm not going to treat them lightly. However, the Bible is quite clear. These experiences happen to us. But Jesus appears. And when Jesus appears, everything Changes. So please don't think I'm treating these things lightly. I'm not. But Jesus appears and everything changes. You see, Jesus rose from the dead. That's okay. He said he, he said he would. Death was defeated. Sin was defeated at the cross and Jesus rises from the dead. And that's fine. But then the, the foundation verse is Acts 1 verse 3. It said, Jesus appeared by many infallible proofs. Many, many people saw Jesus in that period between the resurrection and the ascension, which we celebrate just before Pentecost. Why? So that you and I 
can have hope ourselves and hope that we can share. Because Peter says this, he says, be ready at all times to give an answer for the hope that is within you. Shall I say that again? Be ready at all times to give an answer for the hope that is within you. Each one of us this morning, if we've got Jesus in our lives, that hope is already in you. But it's not in there for you to stay. That hope in you is something you can just give an answer for and give hope to those around you. Paul's quite clear in the book of Ephesians when he's talking to the church about the, the gifts that we might be equipped for works of service in the knowledge of the Son of God, becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of Christ. That's God's plan for your life. We might experience these things. I, I really hope none of you ever experience these things yourself, but I know for sure you're going to. But in that moment of complete devastation and aftermath, Jesus appears. Now, there's going to be a few slides with some key scriptures on there. Um, I'm more than happy if you, if you want to take pictures with your phone so you can take them away. The idea this morning is you take something with you that you can share with somebody else. Don't just keep it here. It's not just for you. This is for everyone. So first of all, in John chapter 20, verse 15, we, we come across Mary, Mary Magdalene. And she is full of grief. She's gone to the tomb. She's seen her, her beloved friend and Lord go to the cross, suffer a cruel, cruel death. And now she can't even find his body. There's nothing for her to anoint with the, the tradition of the day was to anoint the body with oils to, to, in, in the embalming process in the, in the, near the tomb. But he wasn't there. What does grief do? I've known grief. My, my father passed away nearly 11 years ago. There's that, there's that knot in the stomach. There's that, there's that nausea. There's that... Why? There's those moments, even today, almost 11 years on, where I just wish my dad was around. See, the grief lasts. So I'm not treating it lightly. I know what it feels like. Grief can cause loneliness. Some, for some people... Grief is so severe that they want to die too and join a loved one. There's a vacuum, there's an emptiness, there's crying. There's the desire to isolate yourself. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You felt grief and you just want to, just want to hide away, just want to lock yourself away, away from the world. Because, let's face it, no one else could possibly know how you feel. Could they? To any of you who've lost a father, I know exactly how you feel this morning. To any of you who've lost one close, I know exactly how you feel this morning. Because grief does that. And Mary's in the garden. And she's crying, her eyes are full of tears. And then suddenly there's a man beside her who she thinks is the gardener. Because that's one thing that grief does. Grief will obscure your vision. But it'll also obscure the view you have of Jesus. In that moment, that's what the word's for. This is what the Bible's for, to teach us. In that moment, Mary cannot see anything else because of tears in her eyes. Grief's okay. Do you know that? Grief is okay. Grief is fine. Jesus himself mourned the death of his friend Lazarus. The Bible says Jesus wept. He knew what grief felt like. But Jesus appears in moments of grief. 
And maybe you know somebody right now in your, in your family, in your neighbourhood, maybe you yourself are still suffering from grief from a lost one. Don't let the tears of grief obscure your view of Jesus. Jesus appears. This is, this is wonderful. In verse 16, he just says, Mary. Wow. My, my heart is like, Jesus stands next to a grieving person and all he does is says her name. And if you're suffering with grief this morning, if you've got that aftermath, no matter how many years it is, maybe your eyes are obscuring the view of Jesus because of tears. Jesus knows your name. I want to talk, talk about a month for just a few seconds. She's lost her husband. She still feels a grief. But I can talk with some assurance about her motivation. Because she knows I had a great relationship with my dad. We were very close. Do you know what's more important to my mum? So I'm here this morning, living the life that Jesus has for me. Not what my dad had planned. Her sole preparation for her grandkids is she talks them constantly about Jesus. Because as much as she misses my dad, the name David will last forever in our hearts. That's his name. For my mum, the more important thing is that each of her kids, she has four children and ten grandchildren, that each of us has our name known by Jesus. That's more powerful than anything. That's more powerful than any emotion that you, get it, you, are known by Jesus. And that one word, Psalm 139 says, Even in darkness, even should the darkness hide me, still you are there because to Jesus... Darkness is just like light. There's nothing that God cannot see. And even those moments of sheer emptiness and the void and loneliness of grief, Jesus knows your name. It says Mary recognised him straight away. See, when Jesus speaks your name, all we've got to do is recognise he stood there. And she said one word. She said, Rabboni. That's Hebrew. It means teacher. In that moment of recognition, Mary's heart was, Jesus, teach me. This morning, even though I'm giving to you, my heart is still, Jesus, teach me. Josh had a revelation this morning. He said that I'm not perfect. Where did he get that idea from? He's quite right. What I do have is a heart that says, teacher. Jesus, teach me something new every single day. We need to receive instruction. You're not sure how to receive instruction? The Bible is very, very simple. Samuel says, speak, Lord, because your servant is listening. That's how you receive instruction from Jesus. Just turn and say, teacher, just speak the word. Secondly, in this passage, we deal with doubt. The disciples were in an upper room and Jesus appeared to them. But one disciple was missing. And I've mentioned the word doubt, so you, know, you all know who it is. Thomas. Doubting Thomas, which has become a phrase now through the ages of somebody who doesn't quite believe. And then verse 25 says, well, unless I see him, unless I put my, my hands on his wounds, I am not going to believe. See, doubt is a very, very real emotion in times of aftermath, in times of devastation, disbelief. Doubt causes us to become entrenched in our current position. It makes us sometimes, I know, confession time, immovable. 
Have you ever been immovable because of doubt in your own heart? The very first word that Satan said to, the, to Eve was, did God really say? And in those times of devastation, you'll hear those little words. Are you sure God said you're one of his kids? Are you sure that God said he loves you? Are you sure that God said that Jesus would die for your sins? Doubt creeps in. It can lead you to become indecisive. When you doubt, you don't act. You stand rooted to the spot. Which way should I go? This way or that way? I don't know because I'm in doubt. It leads to confusion. But here's the great news. In moments of doubt, guess what? Jesus appears. He said to Thomas, okay, Thomas, come on. Have a look. Have a feel. Those wounds are real. Look, I've got a hole on my side from a spear that pierced it. Do you now believe? Thomas recognised his Lord. Thomas recognised Jesus. And just like Mary said, teacher, Thomas said something. He said, my Lord and my God. In those moments when Jesus appears, one of the best responses we can ever have. This is one of the best responses in the whole of the Bible. Because Thomas at that point is going, okay, you rule. Jesus, you're the boss. Jesus, you're in charge. The language used is like Lord of the manor or Lord of, a, of an area or Lord of a kingdom. And Thomas is going, okay, I'm done here, Jesus. You're up there. There's no way. There's no way I'm in charge anymore. Because my Lord, my God, in those moments of doubt when Jesus appears, the best thing you can do is say, my Lord, my God. Maybe this morning you've come with doubts. You've come with doubts about even your faith this morning. You've got a, a chatter in your ear that says, is Jesus really real? And towards the end of the service, I'm going to give you an opportunity to say, like Thomas, my Lord, my God, come make a difference in my life. We'll do that later on. What a phrase. Because Thomas was relinquishing self-rule. For God's rule. Now, Josh alluded to my imperfections earlier. I know how disobedient I can be. I know the moments of doubt in my life. I know when I want to go my own way. I know when I think I know best I can do this. But until I relinquish self rule, and then Jesus can't work with me. Because it's about moments of surrender when I say, My Lord, my God. Jesus said to Thomas, you're blessed because you've seen me. But how blessed are those who believe without seeing? I've never seen Jesus in the flesh. Okay? Out there. It's out there. I've never seen Jesus in the flesh. But I believe in him. I believe he is alive. I don't believe he's in the tomb. The tomb is empty for a reason. He is not here. He is risen. And as Romanians say on Easter Day, he is risen indeed. I'm not going to give the Romanian version because I've forgotten it. But in the app. Okay, there we go. So in, in moments of grief and in moments of doubt, Jesus appears. And Jesus also appears in chapter 21 of John in moments of frustration. How many of you have felt frustrated at times? Go on, let's have confession time. I've confessed, it's your turn. How many people have had moments of frustration? Great, because this point's for you then. Now you've confessed it. In John chapter 21, we see the disciples in a boat. That's not strange. These guys were fishermen, after all. That was their job. That was their world. That's what they loved to do. They were in a boat. They were fishing. 
But why were they fishing? Because they were full of frustration. They couldn't find a body. The tomb was empty. They'd even seen Jesus appear to Thomas. But where do we go from here? Have you ever felt like that? Where, where do we go next? Now, sometimes it's quite right that God has hold moments on you where you say, right, be still and know that I am God. Those moments full of confusion and doubt where maybe you just need to stop for a moment. You need to stop running and let Jesus speak to you. But more often than that, we go, actually, I don't want to wait. I don't want to hold. I want to do it. And then we end up doing it in our own strength. And these disciples were fishing all night. You know, for most of my life, I can honestly say my, my Christian walk, my, my phrase to God is, whatever. Because in, in, the, in the Bible where Mary says to the disciples with the, the jars of water, whatever he says to you, do it. And that's my whatever. Jesus, whatever you say to me, do it. In moments of frustration, it turns to whatever. Who's had those moments? Whatever. I know a guy, when he asks him a question, all you ever get is whatever. His whole life is whatever. Moments of frustration. Back to what you know. These guys were fishermen in that moment. But Jesus said, hang on a minute. I called you to be fishers of men. I've given you a calling. I've given you a passion. I've given you a purpose. Yet in that moment, they're back in the boat, doing what they know best, doing things in their own strength. And moments of frustration as a Christian that can be fruitless. You don't produce any fruit because you're trying to do it by yourself. It can be joyless. You lose your motivation. You just lose your openness to God. You might lose that sense of adventure because of frustrations. But just gone fishing. You might lose sight of what God's called you to be because you're frustrated. Now, as you read the Bible, I, I, the Bible is a fantastic book. The, the Bible is full of all sorts of moods. There were, there were times in the Bible where the writer is in a really, really dark place and he looks to the light of God. There are times when we have absolute victory, where God smashes things to smithereens. But also, the Bible is full of humour. Have you ever seen the humour in the Bible? I have. Many, many times. There's some, some phrase in the Bible, like in, in the story of, of the woman at the well, when she says to Jesus, I perceive you are a prophet. That's fantastic humour. And Jesus appears on the shoreline. And here's the human situation, right? Disciples, again, imagine your disciples. The Bible says that Peter got his outer clothes off. He was just working. He's got his sleeves rolled up. He was working hard all night. And in that lake, fish would go into the net at night. That's when you fished. And you always fished a certain way. And the fish would go into the net at a certain time and a certain place of the boat. Every night. But not that night. The Bible says they toiled, that's the older versions, they'd worked, they'd laboured all night in their own strength, don't forget. And then suddenly there's a bright spark on the shore. And he, he speaks up. So they've got these big burly fishermen, sweat from the brow, tired, frustrated, they'd caught not a thing. And suddenly this chap, this bright spark on the shore says, I say, you there chaps, have you caught anything? Now, do we have any fishermen in the house? Does anybody like fishing here? I hate fishing, okay? I can't think of anything worse than sitting on a bank with a stick and a piece of string trying to catch a fish. Now, my dad, he loved fishing, but not when me and my brother were around because he spent most of his time untangling our lines. But here these guys were. And don't you just hate it, guys, when you've got something that you really know really, really well it's not working for you. 
Josh likes golf, okay? Imagine one day, Josh, you invite me to play golf with you. I'm rubbish. Imagine if I just took a huge swipe of that ball and got a hole in one. Josh, that's how you do it, mate. Easy, isn't it? This game of golf. Jesus done the sort shoreline. Have you caught anything? Now, Peter was a northerner. So I can imagine there were a few choice words coming from Peter's mouth at that time. Have I caught anything? I'm a fisherman. Uh, no, I haven't caught anything. You see, <laughs> I just love that humour. You, if, you, if you're not read it before, read it again in John chapter 21. You'll find the humour. Have you caught anything? No, I haven't caught anything because I've been out here all night working my socks off. And then the novice says, chuck the net out on the other side. Now, you've got to be kidding me. All right? Who is this guy on the shoreline who suddenly, he's not in a boat, he's over there, he knows how to fish all of a sudden. And the Bible says that the disciples put the net in the other side, just as the guide suggested. And immediately, it was full to bursting. You see, that's why he don't play poker with Jesus, because he knows the cards before they're already dealt. Now, I have to say to you, there's no theological background for that Jesus might play cards. So before you go and fetch the wood and the matches for which to burn the heretic, um, I do weigh more than a duck, so it's okay. Jesus is Jesus. John, recognise him. Of course he recognised him. The, the net was full of fishes from the wrong side of the boat. Fishers, fish, from the wrong side of the boat. John says, it's Jesus. And immediately, Peter just gets his coat on and jumps in the water and leaves his mates to bring the big load of fish in. You may have noticed. See, John recognised Jesus. I just want you to note something here. They get to the shore with this huge load of fish. They've worked all night. Not only has the novice told them where to fish in daylight, they get to the shoreline. What's there already? Jesus has a little fire. He has a fish already cooking. Now, if that doesn't take the biscuit, you see, when Jesus gets involved, you don't need to do it in your own strength. When Jesus is working for your life, you don't have to toil. You don't have to sweat. The, far, the Psalms, the farm, the Psalms say. Unless God builds a house, the builders labour in vain. See, when Jesus gets involved, there's no issue with fruitfulness. When Jesus gets involved, there's no issue with joy because Jesus appears at the moment of frustration when you need it most. Jesus is there. And I love the fact that breakfast was already prepared. When you read through the Bible, it's preparation after preparation. Just read it from, from cover to cover. Genesis, God preparing a world for us to live in. Through the Old Testament, God preparing the way for Jesus to appear. And this moment, breakfast is prepared. What a fantastic thing to sit down to a meal with a friend. Jesus was the friend. They recognised his voice. You see, you may have noticed three times I've used the word recognise. And as we come to a close, just a couple of minutes. First of all, we need to recognise Jesus as the head. In the Bible where we talk about the head of the body, we talk about the source. The source of everything. Everything flows from Jesus. Now if you don't recognise Jesus as the head this morning, you've got a problem. Because Jesus appearing will mean nothing to you. 
In Acts it says, in him we live, we move, we have our being. And in Resurrection Sunday, when Jesus rises from the dead, that's a pattern for us to follow as well. We don't have to live in death. We don't have to live buried. We don't have to live behind a tombstone. As Romans says, if we've been united in his death, we shall also be in his resurrection. Because those who have died with Christ also live with him. Secondly, we need to have Jesus in our hearts, centre of everything. When we talk about the heart, we're not talking about this, this fleshy pump that puts blood on the body. The heart is the essence of who you are. It's the centre of everything you do. And Jesus is our hope. As I said at the beginning, this hope is not just for us. This hope is for those around us. This morning, take what you've heard, apply it to your life, but then allow there to be an outflow. The Bible says from out of their innermost being will flow what? Rivers of living water. So that's what God wants you to be. God wants you to be a conduit, a channel through which he can bless you. So what? So you can bless So you can say the right words. Like Peter says, be ready at all times to give an answer for the hope that was within. And as I close, Romans 15 verse 13, final slide. Paul says, may the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the Holy Spirit. Band, if you can just come back for me, that'd be great. This morning I've said many things. I'm just giving an opportunity this morning to, to respond. First of all, I want to ask, have you ever said to Jesus, my Lord and my God? I've said a lot of things this morning. But you may have noticed that Jesus is the very centre of everything we do in this church. And if Jesus is not at the centre of your life, this morning I'm just going to ask, if everyone just bow their heads, I'm just going to make this moment private. If you've never said that to God, if you've never said, Jesus, my Lord and my God, the invite is right now. Who would like to put Jesus at the central life of your life right now?